Welcome to Geeksploration, the podcast, where our precious virginities kept us alive through summer camp. I'm John Williams. And I'm Ben Robinson. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We're stalking slasher movies. Welcome, folks. As Ben said, we are talking slasher movies today. Um, we're doing a special little Halloween episode. It's going to be slasher-centric. Um, we wanted to do something a little spooky, but horror movies in general seemed like a, a little oh, big of a, a topic. Narrow it down to, yeah. to brutal murder and gore. Yes. Everyone's favorite. Yeah, we don't need ghosts tonight. Um, so tonight we have a very special guest with us. This is our first guest host. Um, this is a friend of ours that goes way back, uh, I don't know, a good 20 years or so. Hey, it's it's been about 20 years. No, it's been over 20 years now, hasn't it? Sophomore year in high school? Jesus Christ. We're almost 20 years since we graduated. Yeah. Um, we've got Kyle Smith here. Say hi, Kyle. Scared to join you. You should be. <laughs> so, uh, Kyle, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I guess you can consider me a uh, cinephile. I spend most of my free time watching movies and the bulk of that is on horror movies. Yeah. This guy's got a ridiculous movie collection. How, how, how many DVDs do you have now? In the thousands. That's fucking ridiculous. I got like five. Yeah. I think on a, on a good day when I don't do a big purge to get rid of D- DVDs and get store credit at the, at the record store, I usually average around a hundred. But what do you do when you want to watch Halloween or Friday the 13th and it's nowhere to be found? Borrow it from you. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I had to do. Uh, that's what I had to do last night. I went around everywhere. I was looking everywhere for that stupid thing. None of the Dimple Records stores had it. I went to Half Price Books. There was an empty space on the rack where Halloween's one and two it's, would have been sitting. It's the wrong season to try and find that sort of thing. It's true. Looking for... Some of these movies is what really drove home to me yet again how shitty the streaming selection of movies is. Like, yes. like Netflix has a lot of movies. Not a lot of movies I want to see, though. Yeah, it's not like the uh, old days where you could go to the mom-and-pop video stores or even Hollywood or Blockbuster, and if you couldn't find the one you were looking for, you're certain to find a different movie. Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of what streaming services do to me right now is that if I'm not looking for anything, I can find something. It may take me a while, I can find something. But when I'm looking for something, it's not there. And it drives me bonkers. Yeah, almost every time I search for something, it gives me a bunch of like, Did, would you rather watch these movies? Because we don't have that one. Yeah, they're telling you what to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I see you're looking for Superman. How about Captain America? I'm like, no, I don't want fucking Captain America. That's why I'm looking for Superman. Here's Meteor Man. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, so, Kyle, what is your relationship with movies? Because ju- just a little a little history for our listeners of my, my group of friends that goes back, which is not very big, but you watch far and away more movies than anyone. And a lot of times, you know, that's that's gained you the reputation of watching a lot of shitty movies. But what is it in you that drives you to keep watching movies? Um, I'm sure, uh, as my wife would say, it's my uh, escape from reality. You need an escape, huh? I just love it. I feel like I can study human nature after a point of having watched so many movies. 
you start seeing real life like that and people almost become predictable because I see them in the same roles as I would movies and can start guessing what they're going to do. Ooh, ooh, what role do I fill? The robot. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, that's not the first time on this podcast that, you, that you've been called a robot. <laughs> I, I grew up watching movies. I, it's just been part of my life as far back as I could remember. I had a uh, uncle that owned a movie store, so I'd spend spring breaks and summers watching nothing but movies. It just it makes me happy. Uh, my One of my favorite places to be is in the movie theater. And uh, fortunately for me, too, as a kid, I was never censored in uh, what I watched. I guess it was more that I wasn't, not that I was not being censored, but no one was paying attention to what I was watching. So at a very young age, I was watching Nightmare on Elm Streets and Friday the 13th and Halloweens and wasn't really ever scared by them, but just grew to love horror. Yeah, the com- fantastic combination of neglectful parenting and no friends. Yeah, yeah. It, it works to not be loved sometimes. <laughs> yeah, TV was my uh, father, mother, and lover. <laughs> In the 80s, with uh, VHS and most families owning VCRs, horror movies were such a huge thing. Uh, There's just countless straight-to-video horror movies, and not to mention some probably very poorly made horror movies that even got theatrical releases. So <laughs> horror movies were all around us. So it was, it was the mass majority of what we could watch. Yeah, the 80s was definitely the golden age for horror movies, especially slasher flicks. Yeah, it almost probably had its height and ended in the 80s until uh, Wes Craven did the Scream movies that led to some another resurgence of slashers, but that's kind of also ended again. And a lot of them tended to be a bit derivative, too. Or they went uh, just fully comedic. So if you had... I'll ask both of you gentlemen this question. If you had to put a pin on your number one favorite slasher franchise of all time what would you say what's your number one my number one franchise i think i'd go with nightmare on elm street i just really it got a little goofy at the end but i mean they all get kind of goofy at the end i mean they they slowly devolve into ridiculousness but i always really like the concept of sleep something that you absolutely have to do being that your your doom your demise yeah, you can't uh, hide from that, and uh, I have to join you on that, too. Nightmare on Elm Street would be mine. Uh, as far back as I can remember, I knew who Freddy was, uh, probably before I had ever even seen a Nightmare movie. I remember as early as five drawing pictures of Freddy on a chalkboard, <laughs> and an uh, odd thing about myself was throughout my childhood and sometimes even in my adult life, I've had dreams with Freddy, but he was a uh, hero. He would help me out of situations. You got a real sick and twisted perspective there. Um, well, I, it's a it's a good thing I didn't ask this question for the Let's Fight About It segment because mine is also Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, there's going to be some very angry Halloween fans out there. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, the Friday the 13th movies and the Halloween movies have their place. They are great. They've got really cool creative kills in in Friday the 13th. Halloween, super creepy. But, you know, I was a creative little kid. I loved seeing all all the special effects and all the forms that Freddy could take, all the weird imagery in the dream worlds. You know, like that, that, that really spoke to me. Well, and other than maybe Chucky, none of the other, uh, slasher antagonists talked nearly as much as Freddy. He was a very dynamic, colorful character. And 
where we really had no interest in seeing the female protagonist. We wanted to see Freddy. He almost kind of became like a anti-hero. We wanted to see Freddy kill people and what he was going to say about it. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm a huge comic geek. And when nightmare five finally threw a, a comic book lover in there and they, they have like a superhero comic book theme <laughs> scene, I'm stoked when Freddie cuts them up and you see him rip at like, like paper. Yeah. The great thing about the nightmare movies is a lot of the people he killed starting with three is they would capture someone from there'd be a jock, a geek, almost every, every movie had a victim you could relate to in some way. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it was nice cause he was at least started out. He was going after all the kids of the parents who murdered him. So they, they could be fairly diverse. Whereas, you know, out at camp crystal Lake or, uh, or with a lot of other villains, like they, they had to have a cohesive group. And so it was weird to see like, okay, so why are these stoners hanging out with these jocks? And it was hard to believe that these people would be hanging out together. Whereas Freddie just, he'd killed people's, kids that murdered him so uh they could be anything they needed to be and a common trope with with them that freddie has too is a lot of them were seeking revenge freddie was burned up Uh, michael myers was trying to kill his family the jason the counselors let him drown like they're typically there was some kind of thing, I guess, to feel sorry for them. Yeah, personal vendetta that made them a little sympathetic. Well, I don't know if that would... Yeah, I don't feel that sympathetic yeah. for a pedophile who got killed by a bunch of... That was always just implied parents. until the remake. You never but, knew it for certain. Though he was the, uh, yeah, the Elm if, Street slasher. No, but in, the, in, the first, in the first movie, she, she mentions to... No, you just know he killed kids. No, she said, didn't she say he molested them? No. You're the one who watched it last night. I just watched night. it last night. I'm pretty sure. Like when she goes down into the basement and pulls the claw out of the boiler. All right, listeners, it's your job to let us know uh, who is correct at email at geeksplorationpodcast.com. Yeah, I mean, Kyle is definitely the resident expert on all of this shit, but uh, I, I, I could have sworn that she mentioned molestation. It was just always implied. There's a very sexual nature and most of what Freddie did, he used his tongue several times and he ate someone in one of them uh, and one of them he turns into a giant penis monster yes that's when he ate someone yeah 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 was yeah. that patricia arquette that was going yes into his that mouth? was in uh three was it was it freddy's was it freddy's dead when he when he exploded and turned into the weird sperm monsters uh, it was the 3d one, one i believe that was freddy's dead yeah that's kind of <laughs> weird <laughs> his seminal performance <laughs> All right, well, let's go into a little history here. So um, I'm just going to talk about some of the origins and setup rather than uh, you know, going into, into high detail about things, even though I've got a good amount of notes. Holy shit. But you know, we can stop and discuss as we go if we want. So slasher film is stereotypically defined by a psychopathic or sociopathic killer stalking and murdering people, often by bladed weapons, but sometimes they can get creative uh, with it, with, uh, with their... Their devices. You don't see many guns. I, I, I think that would take away from the slashing aspect of it. Yeah, guns are not entertaining. They're not exciting or creative. Yeah, maybe really only in a Maniac Cop, which I can't even remember if guns were used, but that's like one I could think of where the killer may have been using guns. Yeah, he, he probably has a gun strapped to him. Um, in addition to that, elements of the supernatural are not as prevalent. 
Um, there are exceptions, but these films don't usually have any ghosts or uh, or witchcraft or some such nonsense. You know, at least Again, not until like the fifth or sixth one. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Now, while the building blocks uh, existed in uh, stage and and early film, you know, in the early twentieth century, uh, mostly in the form of murder mysteries, the the slasher genre. Uh, has roots in suspense and horror films like Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho and Michael Powell's uh, Peeping Tom from the same year. I think it was 1960. Anybody want to? It might even go back as far as uh, M is for Murder. Um, Can't quite remember when that came out, but. Back when the alphabet was new. Yeah. They had to define all the letters. They'd gotten to M. So, uh, and in the, in the movie Peeping Tom, that was one of the earliest movies to feature the point of view of the killer, which became a, a big thing later on. Then uh, in the 70s, uh, it became more, more common and accepted to see more gratuitous gore and sex and, and general debauchery. There was more exploitation in general in film. Uh, movies like uh, 1974's Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Hills Have Eyes in 1977. Uh, centered around hyper-violent, cannibalistic families, and were, those ended up being huge financial successes, even though they were made on shoestring budgets, the latter of which saved the career of a, of a young Wes Craven, who was under some fire and controversy after his uh, 1972 film, The Last House on the Left, came under a lot of, uh, a lot of scrutiny for glorifying violence. It was 1972? Yeah, apparently. Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah, he was an old man. I mean, in fact, a Chicago Tribune film critic, Gene Siskel, wrote, My objection to The Last House on the Left is not an objection to the graphic representations of violence per se, but to the fact that the movie celebrates violent acts, particularly adult male abuse of young women. I felt a professional obligation to stick around to see if there was any socially redeeming value in the remainder of the movie and found none. Gene Siskel, never heard of him. <laughs> yeah. Other than they take revenge against all the uh, people that hurt the woman. Yeah, I I think just back then, like even even in that era of of exploitation back then, like that. Well, they they just didn't have a mass market movie that dealt with topics like the rape of a young girl. Uh, and I think violence in movies was such a new thing at the time too that just any adult probably objected to it. Especially well, especially graphic violence, like violence in a lot of movies before that, like. It occurred, but it was pretty tame. And it's when you go back and watch some of these movies, even in the 60s and 70s, the gore and violence, it's uh, surprisingly graphic, even to today's standards. Yeah, yeah. What was that? Uh, Eight millimeters. No, I, uh, the the uh, cannibal. Can, oh, what was that movie uh, called? You're talking about that trauma movie? No, 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 no. there was one uh, called... Uh, zombie or something along those lines yeah, where island or something yeah and where a woman is uh staked vaginally through her they put her on a stake and kill her vaginally and the whole hype was that that was actually real but it was not it was a very elaborate yeah. prop and setup but there's been a urban myth or legend about the movie that that was a real murder scene but it wasn't the director was actually arrested and he had to bring the awesome. actors in and the and the crew to show how they made that because it looked so real that he actually got arrested. Imagine you'd only have to bring the one actress in and be like, look, not dead. I don't know. Unless she died in like a car accident a week after that. Oh, and you'd no be shit. like, oh, fuck. They got lookalikes. 
So um, another movie of note that was considered a, a big early a slasher flick was 1974's Black Christmas. Um, it's considered by some to be the first of the modern slasher films, uh, inspired films like John Carpenter's Halloween. This film took the man in the house with the babysitter concept and moved it to a college setting. I don't know. Have you guys seen that? Yes, I, I, I have it have. and I've seen it. It's a good early slasher. Yeah, I saw it years ago. I mean, it's Christmas murder movie. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah, I never saw it. Then in 1978, we got Halloween, uh, which, in my opinion, is the uh, the granddaddy of the of the genre. Never heard of it. <laughs> Shit. Um, I watched it. I watched it today and yesterday. I split between the two, and it it, it holds up. Um, you know the way the shape, as he was originally called. Uh, you know he'll just pop up, and he's just standing there all of a sudden. Like that's creepy as shit. Then he's gone. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely love the. Like after she stabs him with his own knife from the closet and she's just sitting there crying and he just sits up in the background and his head turns and looks at her and he's like a freaking robot. And yeah. Like perfect. One of the uh, interesting things too is that after he kills someone in one movie, he, he cocks his head and looks at, looks at the victim and it's almost like an artist appreciating their painting yeah, like he's it's trying a, to understand it. And like he's like, oh, look at what I just did. So there's very subtle acting on his part, but it's all very effective. I mean, he basically moves through the movie like a shark killing person after person. Well, it's, and it's got to be harder as an actor to be someone who doesn't have to say any lines. Like you have to portray everything with your physical movements. Mm-hmm. The actor that played him said that uh, he basically was just John Carpenter's puppet that he didn't really do much. And uh, he talked about some of the uh, scenes where he carries off a body. And he, when you watch the movie, it's like Michael Myers just picks up this dead body and walks off with, carries it with ease. But he actually said it was quite a struggle. He made it look easy. Yeah. People are heavy, but you know, dead people. Well, like you were saying, like moving through like a shark, like it's, it's, it's unsettling to think about how easy it is for someone to just be standing there somewhere out of sight. And just be there. Like, that's something that, that still scares me. Like, what is around that corner? Because it really could be a person with a knife. And I think uh, the most unsettling thing about that movie to me is that it's not at a camp or restricted to someone's dream. It's in a neighborhood. I mean, there's a scene with her running down the street screaming and banging on doors. And no one opens a door or comes to help. And, I mean, this is the day before days before cell phones. But... Just it was smack dab in the middle of a neighborhood, and there's these murders happening. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's believable too. Like, you run around a neighborhood banging on your neighbor's door, like you know, some weirdos banging on your door in the middle of the night and screaming. You may not open the door. I don't think I've ever walked through a, a neighborhood at night and not had Halloween come to mind. <laughs> yeah. I think the other the other thing he did really well was, and he did it before Jason because Jason didn't get lackadaisical until the later movies. But uh, Michael Myers. With the exception of when he jumps on the hood of the car in the beginning and then somehow knows how to drive a car, even though he's been in a uh, mental institution since he was like six. But he's never in a hurry. He just kind of casually walks everywhere and murders people. Yeah, and drives around a bunch in a station wagon. Yeah, yeah he drives a lot. Like, how, where did he learn to drive? It's probably, and it, being that era, it, it might be a manual transmission even i mean how did where did this six-year-old locked up in a mental mental institution learn to drive so well yeah no matter uh, how fast you run or how much you run they're just going to be right behind you Mm -hmm. at a slow walking pace see and that that's something that has always popped up in my dreams or my nightmares since i was a little kid 
whenever something is chasing me, I can hide, I, I can run, I can get behind things, I can get into an impossible place, but that thing that's coming after me always knows exactly where I am, and it just eventually goes there, and I have to get away. Yeah, and like Freddy could just pop up because I mean he was in you know in Dreamland. I mean he could just be anywhere, so he didn't even have to try. Which never made sense because it was it's like people were still running from him. I think for a lot maybe a lot of these uh, slashers, these uh, killers, it's the uh, whole thrill of the chase and the hunt. I mean because Freddy could have seems like he would have just been able to kill them outright right, right almost away. immediately but there's always a a chase run you know running and their feet are trapped in some thick tar glue and they're just slowly getting away and yeah that way well that's the the fun of it you know i think the fear and torturing them was the uh was what he really got out of it it's the foreplay yeah absolutely <laughs> well and then if halloween was the granddad then uh in 1980 the grandma came along uh we had friday the 13th this film i, I just watched this one this morning with with angelina it was great um th- this film itself you know from the very beginning set up so many of the tropes that would later become staples of the genre like you have the person going into the town and asking for directions and people you know like a record scratch almost you know just looking up like oh what do you mean you can't go there yeah the crazy old man yep that's next up yeah the crazy dude who who warns them against it you know the fornicating teenagers yeah (laughs) um i guess there was a little bit of that in halloween yes absolutely absolutely well and and this movie was very obviously heavily influenced by by Halloween. Like Halloween lit the torch that Friday the 13th carried to higher heights. You also had the early movie Fake Out where you think someone might die but they're just messing with you. You know, in in Friday the 13th there was this girl like, yeah, walking yeah. up to the to the archery range and an arrow shoots right in front of her and oh, it's just a funny guy. Yeah, I don't think I've ever actually seen or heard of that one, Fake Out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, see it it became such a big staple where like in the beginning of a movie you'll have like the funny guy or the nerd or the burnout like jump out with a mask or something and, and it does the whole thing like it's quiet and you're like oh shit is someone about to die but if you think about it you're like no it's the it's the first 15 minutes of the movie this person isn't going to die. Yeah, or they pretend to be dead. Yes. And like psych them out. Yeah. Yeah, it I think I feel like it really it probably really caught on later on. You know, like in the 90s when when everything was so meta about the tropes anyway. Yeah. They they had uh, throwing suspicion on the most obvious character. The red herring. Yeah. The crazy guy. Oh, he got loose. We're seeing if he's here. The cop uh, showed up. Sorry. I guess that was poor setup. Um, and then the guy happens to be in a pantry or something. And he's like, you guys will all die. And that's after people had started dying. So you're like, OK, is it him? I don't know. But maybe. So halfway through the movie. Probably not. Yeah. And then there's the good girl, the slut, the funny guy, the jock, the boring girl, and then later on joined by dudes like the nerd and the Lodi. Um, I mean, you can you can clearly see the influence of uh, of Psycho in this one, especially in the music. Like it it sounds like the person doing the score wanted to do everything they could to create the Psycho score, but not get sued. <laughs> like the the violins, the sharp sounds, like it sounds like Psycho to me. And I love that soundtrack, so that stood out to me. Even even Mrs. Voorhees, to me, sounded like the voice of a uh, of mother in Psycho. And the Friday the 13th flicks uh, even inspired a host of copycats uh, as the genre exploded. But most didn't land quite the same. Included in that was a couple sequels to Psycho, in which a reformed Norman Bates is released from prison, 
or I guess from the mental institution. From there, it moves towards the tropes of the times, you know, pr- promiscuous drug-using teens being the victims. It does have some surprises in there. You've seen them, right? Yes. Yeah, I actually I have them, and yeah, I've seen them. Yeah. And where, yeah, Norman Bates isn't the killer in a couple of them. Yeah. Surprises. Jeez, way to ruin it for everyone, Kyle. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Psycho 2 is is an interesting watch. I feel like 3 got a little too far out there with the with the weird drug using guitar playing dude. Um and it almost just kind of unsettling and not not a typical slasher but just kind of annoying. Um and then part 4, you know, that was an HBO TV movie that delves into his past and that that one was pretty cool. Norman Norman Bates is trying to come to terms with being a father perspectively. You know, and who had sex with Norman Bates? Yeah, that, mother, mother was dead, so it wasn't her. Lots of people, man. That Anthony Perkins, he was he was a popular dude. Yeah, well, serial killers have a fan club. I guess fair enough. All right, folks. Well, I think you've been listening to us for long enough for the moment, so we're going to go ahead and take a little break. Uh, enjoy this word from our sponsors. Man, no shaving proposition beats this. Listen. There's one buck cash says Colgate Brushless wins you in a flash. Yes, one buck cash says this is it for the clean, smooth, comfortable shaves you've always wanted. And here's why. Because it's light and fine textured, Colgate Brushless completely surrounds, softens, and supports each bristle better than greasy, heavy creams. There's no matting down. There is no clogging. Your razor doesn't skid or skip when you use Colgate Brushless. Instead, it cuts through clean and smooth. Try Colgate Brushless. See how it does away with razor scrape and soreness. Discover how slick and smooth and downright comfortable it makes your shave. Get a large or giant-sized tube or jar of Colgate Brushless Shaving Cream. If one week's use doesn't win you completely, just send me back the carton top and we'll mail you your dollar. Address, Bill Stern, Kara Colgate, Jersey City, Zone 2, New Jersey. Remember, there's one buck cash says Colgate Brushless wins you in a flash. Real fine. All right, welcome back, folks. Hope you enjoyed that commercial break. Yeah, I just watched Nightmare. I was surprised that I, I I remembered it having more gore. First Nightmare on Elm Street, and it uh, it had a lot of blood, but it didn't have a whole lot of real gory effects. There was like the one where her shirt, where the first girl's shirt gets ripped open and sliced. Yeah, and that was about the extent of yeah. the really gory stuff in that movie. Just the uh, extreme amount of blood coming out of Johnny Depp's back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The Johnny Depp explosion. That was a great effect. But uh, yeah, but yeah, this is just blood. There wasn't a whole lot of you know, the one dude got strangled. You know, the, her mom at the end got, or the mannequin of her mom got ripped through the window. <laughs> <laughs> I think of all the Nightmare movies, that's the only one with a truly terrifying scene. It always scared me as a kid of him walking down the alleyway with the, the six arms. feet long arms on each side. And that was just something that would play into some of my nightmares, not Freddy, but other characters, just these this long arms. And then the... Scene of him pushing through the uh, door over, a, I think it was a sleeping Nancy. Oh, it was like he's pushing through a sheet. Yeah. yeah. Wait, after the long arm part, it, the first movie, his uh, chasing gait is really weird. The way he runs. Yeah. He runs like like a someone jokingly chasing a three-year-old or something. He's like bobbing from side to side. and It looks really bizarre. Like I saw it, I was like, whoa, why, why, why are you running like that, Freddie? He was very gangly. Um, and uh, Robert England based some of his uh, swagger on uh, spaghetti western uh, gunslingers. Like the way he held his glove. Exactly. You know, he, he was all bow-legged. Low, low, hold it low down at his side. And... 
Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, like when he when he'd flick his hand out, like yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's always yeah, his shoulders always dropped a bit. Yeah, that was that was good timing because that was the next that was the next stop on our uh, on our history lesson. It was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, that you know gave the genre uh, an infusion because uh, you know there there were a lot of copycats that came out of Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth, and not all of them were landing. After a while, maybe you just sort of get tired of you know the stalking and the killing dude kills teenagers yes exactly you know oh i've i've got a i've got a bladed thing of some kind i'm stalking someone i'm gonna kill them um you know even even those franchises themselves had to infuse some supernatural into them but you know i think i think nightmare on elm street sort of opened the door in the genre maybe maybe i'm wrong but that's where the uh tna came in to keep uh interest Oh yeah, yeah. You don't just get blood and guts; you get boobs too. Yeah, the, in in Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth, there are definitely some. There's some nudity, but man, it is brief. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. You see a little bit of boob, a little bit of butt, and then murder quickly follows. It's what I loved about uh, when they came out with Freddy versus Jason. Like within the first five minutes, you have a full frontal, yeah, like right yeah. off the bat. It, I remember watching Jason Goes to Hell for the first time. When there's that, she's like some FBI agent or something. They're setting up a sting for Jason and just seeing her get naked and get in the shower. And I was like, oh man, like th- this is the greatest movie I've ever seen in my young life. Oh yeah. They casted straight out of the uh, strip clubs for yeah. the victims. At least the uh, protagonists were usually some shy virgin 35 year old playing a 17 yeah. year old. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Well, yeah. Well, and now with some perspective and age, you know, seeing a, couple nice boobs isn't quite the draw it was when i was 16 so some of those movies didn't age quite as well it's like it's still nice to see some boobs but uh i don't know if it's still worth really getting excited about jason goes to hell yeah no kidding yeah yeah (laughs) definitely not the best movie ever well you know yeah you just you just got to start the movie and then you get you get what you need and then you're gone because there's hardly any jason in that movie either besides that that beginning scene when they explodify him yeah that's The one where so many of these horror franchises make the mistake of trying to explain why they're coming back or what the origin is, and that Jason's some weird little organ monster slithering from body to oh, yeah, body. Yeah, the and weird little worm coming out of the mouth. Th- like what? Yeah, and people are eat eating hearts and stuff to to transfer it. Yeah, like with Nightmare that Freddy's some dream demon that made a deal. And then with the Halloween movies, when they start moving into some satanic cult, and that's how yeah, Michael Myers weird, yeah, is like resurrecting. Yeah, druids or some shit with the little, that little pea-looking symbol thing on them. Nobody the knows what they were doing. Yeah, the, just suspend disbelief and let people get murdered. That's all you really need. Yeah, and so, so Nightmare on Elm Street and its supernatural bent gave way to other genre films uh, with, with the more supernatural side to them, like child's play where you have a murderer putting his uh his soul and his consciousness into a doll yeah we're like you a have, voodoo hex or some shit wasn't it yeah, yeah yeah and you have candy man uh maybe even hellraiser uh i mean that is definitely much more of a supernatural but he's slashing with hooks and bladed weapons yeah i thought about that and i that was the leap i couldn't make for slasher movies I, no, I was, like, yeah, I was like, man, Hellraiser's it, it's its own. It's a slippery slope. You go Hellraiser, and then like you you start getting into like Poltergeist, and you're like, okay, that's clearly not a slasher movie. Yeah. And what about us? Uh, something, especially with the sequels, like Jaws. I mean, that's almost it's got these definitely slasher 
aspects and well, well yeah and then i mean because i was thinking about it when i was going over this like the, the movie that frightened me the most as a child i was thinking about it like well it's not really a slasher flick it was critters because there's not a guy with a knife che- it's not some psychopath it's like the the creature films where you had that and you had like piranha and you had uh, ghoulies yeah ghoulies and, and stuff like that where it's a creature film and not it, it certainly isn't a slasher yeah yeah exactly like they're they're almost more science fiction yeah. Or just as much science fiction as they are horror. They still share the kind of gore and, you know, they usually have, they have a lot of the horny teenagers and this and that. You know, I mean, it has a lot of the same tropes, but yeah. your antagonist is, you know, a monster or group of monsters as opposed to something that's more human. All right. And then after that, we, we had the new wave coming in in the 90s with movies like Wes Craven again with his Scream series. Um, I know what you did last summer. In fact, that was a little, little tidbit. That was the first rated R movie I ever saw in the theaters. Really? Yeah. You had your Urban Legends and your Final Destinations. And these series, they all they all spawned a host of their own sequels. You started seeing more sequels like uh, H2O, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Yeah, where they started re- redoing And they're doing it again. You know, was it 2010 where they came out with the new Nightmare on Elm Street? And- yeah. Yeah, now the theme is remakes. I mean, there's been a Nightmare remake, uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween oh, movies. Friday the 13th remake. I mean, I think all the major ones have been remade. So yeah, with those movies in the 90s, they were interesting in that they they used the tropes of the genre while at the same time they were commenting on them. You know, they they became self-aware, especially with your screams, you know, about they're sitting there talking about what happens in a horror movie and using the tropes to do their kills. They, They were also big on the whole creative kill bandwagon. You know, oh, yeah. they, they really went out of, out of their way for those, especially with like the Final Destination movies. Like the, that's the only reason to watch those. Well, yeah, and they got, I mean, I guess it happened, it was, yeah, Freddy especially, but the, like in Scream, the, the killer was a bit more playful. He was very human. Like he stumbled, uh, the people were able to fight back against him. And it's yeah. almost like, oh, they're going to get away. But then nope. he would always... Well, like, like, I can't remember, I think it was the first one where the, I can't remember who it was, the broad was in the car, she goes to reach for it, and like, he just like knocks on the window, and is like, I, shows her I got the keys. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen those movies in a long time, and I, I want to go back and watch them again, because I've uh, just, by chance, they've been coming up in conversation as people talking about how great they actually are. I'm like, holy shit, like, even back in the day when they were coming out, I sort of saw them as a joke. You know, before your yeah. scary movies came along. and I kind of felt, I remember feeling the same way when I was in high school. I was like, like oh, look at they are ripping off the old stuff. But I didn't, yeah, going back and watching them, like, yeah, I kind of appreciate, I definitely appreciate them. They're good movies. At least the first one was good. I don't remember much about some of the other ones. I remember when the first one came out when I was in the theater and I just disregarded it as a some crappy horror slasher. I may not even have known Wes Craven was involved. And then my brother rented it from the movie store he worked at and brought it home. We watched it. And just right at the beginning with the first uh, Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. murder is just like, oh my God, this is an amazing horror movie. And I have enjoyed all the sequels that came out after it. And to be fair, it had been a while since a decent slasher flick had come out. Yeah, the genre had it pretty would, much turned into a joke, from yeah. or at least the franchises that we had when we were when well, we were children. Not only were they, they just, they stopped, because of they had turned into a joke, they stopped making them. I mean, there was a period there where there wasn't much out. And what it did come out was like, 
Jason X. Yeah, I was going to say, they should have stopped after Takes Manhattan. That should have been the last nail in the coffin, and then you had two more. Even, even, yeah, even Jason Takes Manhattan was pretty. Yeah, it was bad, bad. Horror movies seem like they've always worked in um, fads. The 80s, it was definitely slashers. Nowadays, we have found footage, zombie films, the horror gore porn movies like Hostel, Saw, and stuff like that. And, yeah, that that that's funny. You, it, it it's like you read my mind. That that was the next stop. You know, the, those torture porn movies that that came out. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and found footage. Found footage has got to be my least favorite fucking genre. At least it was new. I'll give them that. But I mean, ugh. It started out good, but there's been such a oversaturation. And then uh, also, don't forget the uh, Japanese children movies oh yeah the ring and the grudge yeah that way and those have a have kind of a place but i mean the the found footage ones i think the shaky cam just i mean it made it so hard for me to enjoy yeah i remember being a dizzy after uh blair witch yeah but at least nowadays i feel like like the the market has become oversaturated to a point to where people are looking for something new and it gives me faith that this new Halloween movie that they're planning on doing could be good. It sounds like it's going to be good. It looks really good. And if it is good, then that could spark something all new. So in case people don't know, they're doing the the retcon route where they are ignoring every sequel that ever came out. This is a direct sequel to the first Halloween Last thing you see is Michael Myers has been shot like four times. He falls off out a second story window and then they go and look out there. He's not there. And it's like 30 years later or something, right? 40, 40. Yeah. Yeah. So Michael Myers is going to be like in his sixties. Yeah. Yeah. He was 21 in the, in the first flick. So yeah, he'll be 61 as is Jamie Lee Curtis. And, you know, judging by the trailers, she looks like she's all tough and, you know, saying like she's she's been waiting for him oh, to escape. She looks like a badass. Yeah. Yeah. She looks she looks hard as fuck. I, I'm I'm I watched the trailer again today, the second trailer. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, and uh, yeah, Jam- I'm, Jamie Lee Curtis looks like a bad motherfucker. Yeah. And way, way tougher than in the Activia ads. Something I'm very curious about this is that uh, Danny McBride is a writer on it. Yep. Yeah, he was one of the champions of the of the entire project, and they ended up going to Blumhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blumhouse is doing it, and John Carpenter's involved again. And, yep, yep. I mean, and just, it, it, the original guy playing the shape. Yeah, but no, it it looks good. And the the part in the second the second trailer when she's she's got the gun up and she says like "Happy Halloween, Michael Myers." I'm really hoping they dub that in the movie. She actually says "motherfucker." Yeah, yeah. Because it totally looked like she should say "motherfucker." Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think now you're going to have a lot of filmmakers that are of our generation that were influenced by these movies making, I mean, even something like that was really popular, uh, It Follows, definitely had a slasher aspect as far as people being hunted one by one. And I've been wanting to see that. Is that, is that the thing where, where like something, it kind of possesses somebody close to you and they, they like walk all stiff and they just sort of, oh, isn't it, is it an STV? Yeah, it, it's. I think it was set in the 80s or Perfect. early 90s, and it seems like it's a, a metaphor for AIDS because it's that's right. When what you don't know what it is, it's just it's something that is following people until it kills them, and the only way to get rid of it is to have sex with someone, and then it will follow them. Well, that's the most fun way to get rid of a psychopath trying to murder you. That I like that wouldn't work in Jason movies. Like he just wants to murder you more if you have sex. Oh. Too bad uh, it follows wasn't following a Stormy Daniels or something. 
Uh, zing. Nope. I'm cutting that. I don't. I don't do political humor. Nope. Um, but yeah, and you you've seen other attempts at, at things like this. Like Neil Blomkamp wanted to make a direct sequel to Aliens, ignoring Alien Three and Alien Resurrection. Yeah. And then Ridley Scott rides in on his fucking dump truck and and decides he wants to make Prometheus and kicks that idea to the curb. You know, they were gonna we were gonna have Sigourney Weaver and Michael Biehn back. Yeah, and that would have been way. Better. Holy shit! I wanted that so bad. And now Bill Paxton's dead, so. Yeah, I well, didn't need him. He was already dead in canon, so. Oh, yeah. Game over, man. Game over. Yeah. Like, he was toast. Like, he yeah, didn't, Hudson's he didn't, gone. He didn't make it out of Aliens, so I'm, uh, that's okay. And this isn't the first time Halloween's been retconned with H2O disregarding well, like four or five and six yeah. or whatever. Was it three and beyond or two and Well, be- three had nothing to do with Michael Myers. That was a... Oh, that's true. That was that weird of the witch. Yeah. Yeah, they were going to take the Halloween banner and make it a anthology horror series. Kind of like, every- like what American Horror Story does, except it it didn't work. Yes. I actually like Halloween 3 quite a bit, but I guess I'm in the minority on that. Hey, you know, I haven't seen it in years, so I couldn't give you a real opinion on it. Yeah, I'm I'm not certain I've seen it from beginning to end. So now that that you let me borrow it along with one and two, I'm actually going to check it out. So you're a fan of that movie, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's got this very eerie 80s element with the soundtrack and it's it's dreamlike. It's strange. I mean, it kind of reminds me of a maximum overdrive. It's just a weird, absurd movie. And it's got a creepy premise. I mean, these people are going to do something that kills all the kids and sacrifices them to their pagan god. Oh, maybe I'll have to give it a shot. Yeah. And hopefully this Halloween does really well, and hopefully it's really good. So that can inspire filmmakers to you know, actually succeed in making a new Nightmare on Elm Street or a new Friday the 13th. Yeah, spring back Robert England. I hope both of those things are true because if only one of them one of them is true, it's not like if it's shit and still makes a lot of money, it's not going to help. Nope. I'm still wait, waiting for a Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Oh, jeez. Fuck yeah, I'd, I'd I'd go see it. Did well, you, yeah. did you guys watch Ash versus the Evil Dead the show? Uh, the first two seasons, I haven't seen the new one, but yeah, I love it. Yeah, I've yeah, only seen the first great. few episodes of the first season, and I've been enjoying it. I just. I haven't had time. It's tough to find, you know, oh, yeah. time for hour long episodes. It's a thirty minute show. Yep. So take that. Is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. Okay. I stand corrected. You can knock out a whole season in like three and a half or four hours. Yeah, it's only like yeah, twenty two episodes or something. So yeah, it's. So I guess it'd be like eleven how many, hours. How many three and a half four hour blocks do you guys have? Not enough. I, I've I've only made it through like half of the second season. Yeah, it's a struggle. Half hour blocks. I've got a few of those lying around. I can I can devote one of those here and there. Yeah. If if I if my wife can give up the her monopoly of the television. No kidding. Just so you have a say you have a stomach ache and sit in the bathroom for a really long time. I do that anyway. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need an excuse. I've got comic books. I'm gonna sit in the bathroom for a long time. John, have you ever known of? Uh, the slasher genre to be in comics? Have they ever had like a slasher comic? I'm sure, yes. I'm, yeah, I'm sure they've made like Friday the Thirteenth comics and stuff. Whether or not they were any good, I don't know. But yeah, I, there's, I know there's, I've seen them. There's been there's been a host of Ash comics with with Army of Darkness. I think there was actually an Army of Darkness, Nightmare on Elm Street, possibly Friday the Thirteenth crossover. Like you may have gotten your crossover in comics already. Oh, that'd be worth reading. I, I don't think I'd. I don't think I'd call Evil Dead a slasher movie but uh, i would i would absolutely watch the crossover yeah fuck yeah 
Yeah, and there there was a there was an image series called Hack Slash, like hack, and then there's like a slash and then slash. Um, hack I, slash slash. Yes, <laughs> I only I only read the first issue, or you know, Image does these things called Image Firsts, where it gives you like the first issue and it's a taste of the series. I think in this case they pulled from a couple different sources to try to coax you in. They're like one dollar, so I bought a shit ton of those just to try it out, and I've found some really good series from that. But it's this girl whose mother was a cafeteria lady, and when some boys were teasing her, she like murdered them and put them in soup or something and then and then she ended up getting killed by the cops when they found out so this girl was fucked up by that but yeah i I don't know it's weird so i think she's going around the country killing killers i want to say and then she's got this like big mutated sidekick man who can he can talk but he's definitely a kind of a frankenstein's monster looking thing and yeah now there's some tv series like uh slasher that's on netflix uh Scream Queens until it got canceled, but Scream Queens was very influenced by slasher movies. They reference that reference them over and over. Yeah. Did you guys ever watch the Scream TV show? No. No, I think it was uh, made for MTV. Yeah, MTV. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I I never watched it either. My daughter and uh, a friend of hers enjoyed watching it. Yeah, I watched a couple episodes of the Thirteen Wolf show. And from that was discouraged by watching any other MTV series. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm generally discouraged from watching any MTV series well before that, but yes, I never gave it a shot, but like 10 year old daughter liked it. So I don't know if that's a good sign. And then there was even the, uh, psycho prequel, the Bates hotel. I watched the first season of that and it was, it was okay. It was just kind of slow and i lost interest and stopped watching it that whole brother subplot was was kind of kind of annoying to me like i didn't want to see that and the guy playing his brother bugged me i I watched the first season and a half maybe i thought the guy played a good norman bates and you find out that the that brother was a product of incest oh gross i mean i i think i still do want to go watch that series just because i'm such a huge fan of the the original uh, movies. I mean, the the first one especially. Do yourself a favor and watch Ash versus the Evil Dead first, if you're so limited on time. I feel sorry for that kid that played Norman Bates in that series because, like, he had some new show this last season called The Good Doctor or something, yeah. where he's some autistic doctor. Oh, it looked fucking awful. And I don't feel bad for him. That show looked like garbage. I but I saw the previews and I'm just like, why would anyone let Norman Bates be a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he cried a lot in that show. I was getting kind of sick of that. He was always crying. I, I mean, I don't think that's character inconsistent. He didn't. He, he was never like a strong male lead kind of guy. Yeah, but he also he also wasn't a baby. I don't know. He murdered his mom and then dressed up in his clothes and argued with himself. That's I seems like someone that would probably cry a lot. Yeah, that does yeah, not but, seem inconsistent to me. But it is inconsistent because I never had to fucking see it back in the day. Nowadays, everyone has to be sensitive and human and be crying all the time. Even Spider-Man had to be crying. Tobey Maguire cried like seven times in every one of those fucking movies. Hope it makes you feel any better, John. I don't cry. Hopefully in the, new, in the new Halloween movie, we see Michael Myers crying. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us today on Slasher Films Part 1. Come back and see us next time when uh, Kyle Smith... Chats with us a little more on Slasher Films Part 2, right in time for Halloween. If you want to let us know how we did today, you can hit us up at email at geeksplorationpodcast.com. 
You can find us on the social medias, Facebook and Instagram at Geeksploration Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at GeeksplorePod. And if you enjoyed today's show, please drop us a five-stab review on Apple Podcasts. It is one of the best ways to get the word out about the podcast. On that note, we got our first five-star review from Angelina Lovey. Thank you for the kind words. Completely new and anonymous listener. Yes. You can also subscribe to the podcast at geeksplorationpodcast.com. Be notified when new episodes drop. Our theme song is Cruising for Goblins by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Remember, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs>